Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey, 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 guys, it's Dr. Delvina. Thomas. Yes, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. And I just wanted to tell you about some ways you can follow me. First of all, you can get in touch with me by sending an email to info, I-N-F-O, at D-R, as in doctor, at drdelvina.help. That's H-E-L-P, so info at drdelvina.help. That's spelled D-R, D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A, dot help, H-E-L-P. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. They are um, matching now. So it used to be my Instagram was a little different than my Facebook page, and that Facebook page got taken down. So now they're both the same, which they are both Dr. Delvina, D-R, D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A. And my website used to be drdelvina.help, but I'm redoing the website so soon it will be launched and it will be Dr. Delvina, so doctor abbreviated again, D-R-D-E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A, help, H-E-L-P dot com. You may also follow my office, which is D-R-T, Brain Love. We are DRT Behavioral Services, PLLC, but we go by DRT Brain Love on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Please feel free to follow all and subscribe to those pages. And our website is uh, brainlovehelp.com, B-R-A-I-N-L-O-V-E-H-E-L-P.com. Everything is about help. And we also have a website for our, for our spa and also for our um, CBD and uh, medicinal cannabis licensure. So there's links for those um, websites on DRT Brain Love website as well as on my website when it launches. But feel free to subscribe to all of the um, podcast platforms. Please subscribe on iHeartRadio, on Pandora, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts. And if you're um, a member on Anchor, which is Anchor by Spotify, please feel free to subscribe on Anchor as well. As you know, the more subscribers you have, the better. I do appreciate the the subscribers that I have to date. And some of you have been with me since the podcast started in May 2020. So we're in our third year, and I appreciate your support. And if you're sending a monthly contribution, I appreciate that support. And if you're not sending a contribution, but you're listening on a regular basis, I greatly appreciate that support as well. If you haven't already done so, please uh, do a rating on your favorite podcast platform and share it with other people, man. All right. Remember, brain love. Hey, 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 guys. It's another Sunday night on the Brain Love Podcast. You know, I, I told you guys I have some special guests coming on. This is the first of all of my guests have been special. Let me not minimize the folks who've come on the show with me. Everyone who has joined me on the couch has been special. But this one is really, 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 really special for me because this actually goes back to my childhood. And if you know me, you know that I am a fan of music. 
I'm a new fan of golf, but I am a huge fan of music. My father was a DJ back in the day. That was his side hustle while he was in the army. And then eventually he became the manager of the NCO club. If you're um, familiar with the military, you know, NCO means non-commissioned officers. So we had an NCO club for the NCOs, AKA enlisted folks. And we had an officer's club. My father was a manager for the NCO club and he would throw parties, he would promote concerts. And um, I wanna say sometime around 1982, 1981, 1982, 1983, somewhere in there, I could probably call my dad and ask him, but he's such a, sometimes he gets to telling stories. So we don't wanna do that. Um, he brought Millie Jackson to Hanau, Germany, where we lived. And I was blessed enough to make contact with her daughter, Keisha Jackson, and I'm interviewing her tonight on my couch. Welcome to the couch. What should I call Thank you? You can call me Keisha. Coach Keisha, Coach Jackson. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so guys, I'm calling her coach because she is a life coach. We're going to get to that. Um, but thank you. Are you ready to take the couch, Coach Keisha? I am. Absolutely. All right. I knew you would be. Guys, while you're listening to this episode, if you are not driving, if you're not on your Peloton, if you're not on the treadmill, please go to uh, Coach Keisha's website. It's KeishaJackson.com. That's K-E-I-S-H-A Jackson.com. That's J-A-C-K-S-O-N. Of course, you know, sometimes I get smart asses. Like, is it J-A-X-S-O-N? You didn't spell it. So we're going to do it. We're going to keep it traditional. It's the slave way, the slave spelling. So thank you so much for spending time with me. I really appreciate you. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Um, I don't know what made you agree to do the interview, if it was the mental health part as connecting as, you know, brain lovers, or if it was just one sister to another sister, just because you're all about that karma, putting good into the universe. But I'm very grateful that you're spending time with me and, um, and you're sharing some information with us. Absolutely. It was actually a combination of all of it. And because you mentioned Mike Phillips, that had something to do with it as well. So it was an amazing reference. And, you know, hey. yeah, I ain't, I ain't scared of too much. So <laughs> that's what's up. And listen, big ups to Mike Phillips again, y'all. If you didn't get that new album, get it. I will play some during the intermission or during the break tonight. But I'm also going to play some Millie Jackson because this is the daughter of Millie Jackson. I mentioned Millie did a concert in Germany and um, I'm like, you know what? An extension of Millie Jackson is going to be just as exciting as Millie because I know how my parents are and I know who I am. So Keisha, are you an extension of Millie Jackson? I'm definitely an extension of Millie Jackson in many ways. Nice. In many ways. Yes. I mean, I, you know, I look my, like, like my mother. Yes, you do. You know, uh, according to most people, you know, she's me mama spit you out. You know, <laughs> you know how the elders say, yeah. And, and um, you know, I don't really, I got a lot from her. My business sense, uh, of course, my music sense, um, because I'm an entertainer and I've been doing this since 19 professionally recording since 89 singing background for her for her since I was 15 and um definitely my no nonsense sense Mm. I got from her so um I think I'm a little bit I might ease up a little bit more than she does (laughs) not as hardcore 
as she is. Uh, but yes, it's definitely there. It's in me when it needs to be. Yes, man. And guys, yeah. um, if you're listening and you don't see what I post in my story, follow me on Instagram at Dr. Dalvina. Um, Keisha is beautiful like her mama. She got the big hair going on right now. She got those full, beautiful lips. She's rocking an Adidas suit, yes. aka Adidas. <laughs> and um, so as uh, Coach Keisha was saying, she began singing professionally at age 15. She ran backgrounds for her mother, but she also, you recorded two albums as well with Sony Records. I did. I did. Uh, my first record was in 89 and my second album was in 91. And then it was just time for me to get out of that terrible contract that I signed. Gotcha. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's a whole business behind that business, huh? Ooh, honey, yes. And unfortunately for me, uh, well, I mean, I would say fortunately and unfortunately, there's a down and upside, I believe, in trying to find the light in everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I signed the deal at a time that me and my mother weren't in the best p- place. And so, you know, I asked her to look at the paperwork and look at the contracts, but we weren't in the best place. And so I just signed it, you know. They were friends of mine, the production company that I signed to, and it turned out to be like not a great idea, but I was able to work a lot. So I did the most, the best I can do, which was to work in the, in the uh, regions that the record was doing well in, which was the Southeast, mm-hmm. the Bahamas, and in the UK. And I just circled that for about three years, and then I was invited to sing background in the studio with L.A. Reid when, when LaFace Records uh, officially moved to Atlanta. And that started a whole background vocal career for me while I waited the contract, the recording contract out till that was over completely. Gotcha. So let's stick with that. Let's stick with your singing yeah. career for now. And then we'll switch gears. Um, you've done background, not for just your mother, but you've also contributed vocals on um, you know, iconic artists like Aretha Franklin, like, whoo, man, I, I need them to do a documentary on Millie Jackson, like they did with Aretha telling yes, that story. They do. And I need them Ooh. to do it before, before yes, while she's your mama li- leaves this earth, because I want Absolutely. her to contribute to that story. You yes. know, we got to get it mm-hmm. from the, from the, the queen's mouth. From the um, source, yeah. Exactly. You've also been with Tony Braxton, Whitney Houston, like just some of the greatest artists ever. You've toured with some of the greatest artists, Erica Badu, Outcast, mm-hmm. Faith Evans, Raphael Sadiq. Question for you before we talk about that. Yes. What was it like touring with Raphael Sadiq? That dude is a musical genius. I yeah, love he him is. live. He is. Raphael is dope. But like, he's just, you know, fortunately I had the you know, I was blessed to be able to perform with people that I admired and I was put in a position to be able to pick and choose the artists that I worked for. And so I got a call from uh, Sadiq through a girl, through a a friend named Joy. And, uh, but she also, like earlier in my career, she connected me with Dungeon Family in Atlanta, which is how I began singing with Outkast. So, but Sadiq was amazing. And we ended up doing the um, the live at the House of Blues on Sunset. He has a live album. And that's the album that I ended up uh, performing with for that live recording. And then we did a subsequent tour afterwards. Wow. I'm going to look for that live album on Spotify. Yeah. Shout out to Spotify. Hey, hey, hey. Um, <laughs> so I'll look for that. Um, so... 
what was, I guess, one of your best or memorable um, achievements or events with your mama, with Mama Jackson, when you were touring with her, doing vocals? I mean, starting at the age of 15. Yeah, that's kind of hard to pinpoint because, you know, that was my life. And so it's kind of hard, you know, it's kind of like, um, I guess, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. but there are so many moments that, you know, created the person that I am now. For example, you know, I would sing background with my mother at 15, but obviously I was still in school at the time. So I was performing during Christmas break and spring break and summer break and things like that. But I was also like when the other acts were on stage, I was out in the lobby of the venues of the theaters selling, you know, those old roses that, that you twist and they used to light up. Yeah. I don't know how old you are. But oh, I remember <laughs> yeah, those. Yeah. Yes. And so <laughs> I would be out there doing those. And then when I would hear the, uh, the band that was that was going on before her and when I when I heard them kind of wrapping up and finishing thank you we'd like to I was like okay I got 20 minutes to get to the back and put my gown on and zhuzh my hair up and get ready to go on stage and so I had a double hustle going on that so that was definitely something that helped me a lot but also my mom prior to me performing with her on a regular basis uh, she would always call me up on stage just to just ad lib on a song that she was singing so we could be like I was raised in Teaneck New Jersey I was born in Brooklyn raised in Teaneck and um she would call me up on stage at you know Newark Symphony Hall or at Carnegie or at the Beacon Theater the Apollo and randomly like I never knew when it was going to happen because it was never on the same song but yeah I had to figure out quickly how to ad lib on this song that was already way too grown for me to be singing but so yeah I kind of you know I just oohed and odd my way through it because you know anything else I didn't know anything about you know I didn't have any firsthand knowledge of really what she was talking about so um yeah I kind of oohed and you know oohed my way through it and that was really kind of where I got my first pieces of uh stage experience like it was in front of major audiences so I'm incredibly incredibly grateful for that yeah so for folks who may not know Millie Jackson um is an American R&B recording artist she began her career in the 1960s the album uh, oh so before I go go on to that but there's one album cover that I remember so clearly because <laughs> my father used to buy albums like I said he was a DJ And I would see these albums and they took pictures too when she came to perform um, in Germany, just uh, she was before her time. Um, And and I've heard people say she really is the the mother of hip hop. Yes. And so before there was Little Kim, before um, Cardi B, um, before Meg Thee Stallion, there was Millie Jackson. If you guys don't believe me, please look her up. Um, it wasn't called rapping at the time that your mother was doing it, but I remember her songs had these long sections where she would talk and she was actually, it was called rapping. Was it called rapping? What she was doing was called rapping, but that's not the same as what's happening now. Like they rapped with intentionally with the beat in mind. She rapped because, you know, back in the days in the seventies, it was, you know, come over here, let me rap to you. 
Yeah, so gotcha, it was talking. Gotcha. Okay. It was talking to music. You, know? you got a point there. Yeah, yep. and so it became point. later, it became, it was called rap, but it was a more syncopated uh, dialogue. That was and and, the, and the person who I heard do it the most, because I listened to a lot of music growing up, mm-hmm. it was your mother. She yes. had these long spoken sections and during which she would talk shit. Mm-hmm. And for folks who don't know, sometimes Miss Millie Jackson could be some some people are offended by me and the things that I say and the things that I do. But Miss Millie Jackson could be a little sexually explicit, mm-hmm. provocative. Mm-hmm was um, funny also. And I think she spoke to a lot of women because she talked about the problems in relationships, um, the cheating, whether it's you um, being a mistress in a relationship or you having a more so a mistress in a relationship. But she talked about a lot of different relationship issues through her music and songwriting. So this is why you heard uh, Coach Keisha mention sometimes you know, they were, she was singing about experiences that she hadn't experienced yet. Um, as you said, your mother, you were from Georgia, you were born in Georgia, but you grew up in New York. I wasn't born in Georgia. My mother was born in Georgia. Gotcha. She was but born we're... in Thompson, Georgia. I was born in Brooklyn. Gotcha. Okay. So you, yeah. yeah, she moved to New York later after her mother died. She and her father moved up to New York. Yeah, wow. my mother moved to New, to New Jersey, uh, specifically at 15 years old. Okay. She kind of ran away from Georgia and moved up to to where um, her father, my aunt, you know, where they were uh, because her mother was here. She was staying with family. But at 15, she was like, I'm out of here. And so she Mm -hmm. hightailed it to New Jersey. And that's where she lived with her father and then later moved to New York and started working in the garment district in New York. So I read somewhere that her mother died when she was a child. Is that accurate? Yes, that's absolutely accurate. When she was two years old. So she, so she didn't really know her mother. Yeah. Wow. So I'm sure that that had an effect on her growing up. Absolutely. Does she ever absolutely. talk to you about that at times? Well, yeah, she would. But I mean, I think, you know, like many of us are when we are traumatized, we suppress yeah. And so, yeah, she discusses it um, very loosely. I think um, she wasn't there when it happened. It was a fire. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't present when it happened. But, you know, when you, even when you get older and you realize like, okay, my life is different than everyone else's. You know what I mean? You realize that everyone has a mother and I don't have a mother. So even if she didn't remember the moment where suddenly she didn't have her mother there, obviously that void is there her entire life. And my grandfather married many times and, you know, really just trying to find her a mother. But I think that it just, it just didn't really work out. Once she left Georgia and went to New York, she was pretty, she, she had made up her mind that she was going to be independent and figure it out. And that's what she did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She was definitely her own thinker. She was, um, a very independent, strong woman, considering yeah. the times that she, that she grew up in, you know, that True. was, yeah. yes, the whole civil rights. Um, she was born in 1944. So I'm sure a lot of what your mother possessed, she passed on to you. Yes. And it seems like you, you are the same. Um, how did you learn to sing? 
you said she brought you up on stage. Did she teach you? Did you have a singing coach? Did, no, back then, honestly, there weren't really, there was no such thing as a, as a singing coach. As a matter of fact, um, when I told my mother, I was a vocal coach, like as you know, probably 2000, I started a vocal coaching agency to um, coach vocalists and then help them find work. Um, she thought it was the most ridiculous thing ever. <laughs> she was like, either you Hilarious. know how to sing or you, or you don't, you know, because they just didn't, you know, obviously if you came up under the Motown umbrella, then that was a different story. But everyone else, like typically speaking, you either knew how to sing or you didn't, you yeah. know? And so I was, you know, I can't really say self-taught. I, I, but maybe so I practiced a lot. So self-taught is often... Wow. Uh, experiences, influences, things like that. And so with my mom uh, being my number one influence, you know, but there was always music around. There were always entertainers around. Um, And then, you know, so there was always music in the house. So even when I wasn't listening to the blues that my mother was playing and the artists that were her peers at the time and um, soul music artists like Ray Goodman and Brown and Chuck Jackson and her peers, Isley Brothers, we, they all lived in, in, in Jersey. Um, we were all right around the corner from each other. It was, you know, Bootsy Collins, it was Shaka Khan. It was, and so, you know, there was never any, thank God, you know, you find that with, with young people, there was always a parent, turn that music down, turn that. That was never the case in my house. So I could play it as loud as I wanted to, you know, if I was getting on, you know, someone's nerves and I would just take it to the basement or whatever. But there was always that freedom um, to listen and explore music as much as I wanted to. So that would be where I learned it. Nice. Mm -hmm. So I sometimes ask God, why God didn't you give me the musical skills to sing? And I told Mike, (laughs) listen, Keisha has, she is a vocal coach. She's a certified, well-respected industry vocal coach. And she has a coaching agency. For those of you listening, it's One Voice Entertainment. Am I correct, coach? That is absolutely right. So I told him, I want to see if she can help me. If you can... (laughs) refine my vocals so that I too can become a singer. He was like, no, there's nothing anyone can do for you. <laughs> okay, so you are you tone deaf? Do you have no musical Fail. talent at all? That tone deaf. You're tone deaf. Okay. Uh, well, unfortunately, I mean, I there's not too much I could, if, you're, if you are definitely tone deaf, there's not much that I can do. I can help you stay on pitch better, but to be tone deaf and then to become this amazing singer is rare <laughs> and quite unlikely. What is tone deaf? How how would tone I know deaf if I'm tone is deaf? when is when you play a note for someone, for example, and let me pull out this little uh, this little uh, keyboard real quick. If you play a note and you can't you can't really you can't hear the you hear the note, but you can't relay the note. So if it's you go, ah, uh, ah, uh, and I'm like, no, higher. Ah, uh, ah, uh, you just, you just can't, you just can't. Like it's, can't catch I can do note. this all day long and you cannot catch a note. You cannot sing in tune. So something can be on the radio and you sing the entire song completely out of tune. Oof. I mean, can't catch a note. But so I, I don't think, you know, tone deaf 
tone, tone deaf, excuse me, is not as common as you think it is. I mean, some people can sing and some people can't. It's about holding the note, but um, you're probably not tone deaf. Mm. You're probably not tone deaf. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, I have had some tone deaf people call me and ask me for lessons. And, you know, I am my mother's child, so I am gentle, but I am brutally honest. You know, I have to tell the people, this is not, this is not what you should be doing. What? How do you say it to them? Well, it kind of depends. You know, some people are, depending on, it, it depends on what they come to me for. I have people that may just, uh, 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 a wife, a, a woman who is engaged, about to get married, and she wants to sing to her husband, coming down the aisle. Mm. So I try to help her find the simplest song that I feel like she could convey that to, because at the end of the day, it's more of an emotional, sentimental moment and not really about, you know, yeah. getting every note right and everyone's going to still cry. And, I, you know, it's such a precious moment that she's attempting to do this. Other people who are tone deaf, they, you can't tell them they can't sing. <laughs> they believe it. Apparently there's been quite a few people in their family that gas them up to believe that they sound amazing. And by the time they get to me, sometimes they're upset and fighting me tooth and nail. Like, well, I know that I can do this. I'm like, well, believing is the biggest part of it. Like you have to be able to believe that you can do it. But the examples that they try to mimic, is like Whitney Houston. Oof. Wait, wait a minute. Like, look, right. can we start? Let's start off with something a little bit more achievable. You know what I mean? Well, so, the, the best, some of the so, best singers can't sing Whitney Houston. You so know what what's I mean? What's more achievable? What would be more achievable? I digress. <laughs> Because I don't want to insult any artist because I believe that like, you know, there's some artists that sing really simple and it's the message yeah. that becomes the more important thing, um, you know? And so, and let me say this because, and it's the uniqueness of the voice. So someone like Tracy Chapman, for instance, mm -hmm. she has a very simple kind of voice, but she has a very unique tone. You know what I mean? And I like so- that example rather than trying to like it's easier to sing her songs than it is to emulate her tone now if you said you wanted to sound like Tracy Chapman that's not going to happen because you have to understand how to embrace your own your own voice which is actually the part of the thing that got me into life coaching because it's about hearing your own voice and understanding who you are and your own voice and that's more um you know, it's technical, obviously, when I'm talking about vocal coaching, but it's more of a spiritual acknowledgement of self when I'm talking about life coaching. Love it. Since we just mm -hmm. went there, let's stick, let's stick with that. Okay. So when did you decide that um, it was time for you to, to make that transition to become someone's coach? Okay. So there hasn't been a trans transition. Mm -hmm. because I'm still very much a vocal coach and very much a performer. But well, the, the transition is the transition is adding that to your repertoire. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so I just misunderstood what, what, what you meant. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it was necessary because in my vocal coaching, I realized that so much of it is mental Ooh, for people. Love it. And okay. so many, you know, 
for me, it came naturally, but that's not the norm for people, you know, I mean, for people who were raised in church, yes, it became very natural for people who go to church and sang in church and maybe they were PKs, you know, pastors, kids and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But for the average person, that's not something that comes very naturally. And so I realized that the woman who married early, maybe got pregnant, married, um, and singing was her passion. She used to sing her face off, her entire youth. And then came the baby, then came the husband. She completely forgot about herself. And she decided that she wanted to get back to her passion. It was something that never left her. That woman has been suppressed. That that gift has been suppressed for so long that she came to believe that it it wasn't she wasn't great at it anymore. And so a lot of it was mental. And for another example would be someone who used to sing really well, did an open mic or did a, a, a college talent competition, it didn't go very well maybe got booed at some point, maybe someone whose parent told them, you know, you're wasting your time. There's no future in that. Stop doing that. And so for whatever reason, they suppressed their voice and, you know, they lost the excitement. You know, they, 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 they wanted to do it, but it was still kind of in there. So later in life, it comes up and then they feel like, okay, I want to do this, but they don't really believe in themselves anymore. And mm. so what I do prior to uh, taking on a client is I do an assessment. And in that assessment, I'm talking to them, intentionally bringing out reactions that would either make them, oh my God, speak very, very high mm-hmm. or, and, and to, to get into the very lows of their voice. Like, oh girl. Oh. And so when they go to sing a song and I check their range on the keyboard, when I get to certain notes, they say that they don't, how oh, I can't hit that note. And I'm like, yeah, you just hit the note. Like singing and speaking is the same. So if you can hit the note in excitement while you're speaking, you absolutely can hit the note when you're singing. It's the same speaking voice. If you go to a speech therapist, it is, if you go to a vocal therapist, they're the same doctor. You know what I mean? And so getting past that with a lot of people. But the one, the one thing that, me, you know, I was pondering it because I felt like the breakthrough for so many of my clients was, was mostly mental. It was all mental. Believing that you could do it. Believing that you still had it. Believing, you know, um, the willingness to deny what your mother or father said to you at a young age, this is useless, this is pointless. A husband that said, you're wasting your time. You are now married with kid. That's never going to happen. Believing that you actually still do it. So the passion is still there, which is what allowed them to reach out to me. Mm-hmm. But then it's getting over that huge hump of believing that they would actually sound good doing it. And so that's where the... I just want to sing 
because my my I'm I'm sponsoring this year's family reunion. Oh, I just want to sing to my husband coming down the aisle. That's them trying to prove to themselves that they still have it or to satisfy that thing in them that's been suppressed for so many years. There was a client that I had that was going through a lot of issues with her father. And I've always been I've always been the person that people come to for advice and talk to. So, you know, I kind of know how to handle people. I I got accustomed to being that person that people just kind of let out on. And um, this particular client was going through a lot of issues with her father. And, um, you know, it was, it was very difficult for her. He was not supportive. He was, you know, cheating on her mother. It was just really a tough time for her. Um, And it seemed as though he would put her down at every opportunity. Well, she was my vocal client, but half the time I'm hearing these stories. And one day she called me, she was on her way uh, to meet me for a lesson. And I could tell in her, it was, it was, it was pouring, pouring down, raining outside. And she was about a mile away from my house and she was running late. And so when she called me, I picked up the phone basically saying, Hey, take your time, you know, mm-hmm. I'll, however late you get here, we will still do the lesson. Or if you're not even on my side of town, we can reschedule. I just didn't really want her driving in those conditions. And she was probably a half mile away from my home. And I could hear it in her voice that something was very wrong. And she said, I can't take it anymore. And she told me the conversation that she um, had with her father and she revealed to me that she had a gun and she was tired Whoa. and I freaked out in that moment I just prayed to God that I had the right words um, and long story short I was able to talk her into coming to me um, and during that mm-hmm. conversation going to the car and getting the gun and leaving it with me, which I was not exactly comfortable with having this gun yeah, but... in my possession, but it, mm-hmm. I felt like it was better in my possession than it was hers. And she and I are still very, very close to this day. And, you know, I, that was the moment that made me say, okay, I got to figure out how to handle. I've always been this person for people, but, Was that that before you became a coach, a life coach? That was the moment that made me say, I'm doing it. Because it was something I was pondering. And I, and I, at that moment, I knew I was like, okay, by the grace of God, I was able to keep this woman from harming herself, but Mm -hmm. I need to have the right tools to handle people because there's been so many instances with people outside of vocal coaching, having nothing to do with vocal coaching, Mm -hmm. but I just want to make sure that I, I, I speak, you know, I give people the right, you know, words and mm-hmm. I, I mind my words very carefully, but I wanted to have the tools nice. to be able to handle people. And, um, that was such a serious moment. I just did not want to ever get be in a position where I wasn't sure. And you're never sure. Mm-hmm. 100%, but, you know, I just wanted to be able to at least go into it like, okay, yeah. you know, and I was able to do that. And, um, and that's when I was like, okay, it's time. So I just had an epiphany and yes. this could be my 
inner godly voice talking to me that you should consider doing more. Not to say that life coaching is not enough, but in the world of music, you could definitely mm -hmm. become a licensed mental health professional. You know, there's so many different routes you can take to do that, but you guys need it in the industry. You need it yes, we so do. much. Um, Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I mean, every genre of music needs mm -hmm. mental health professionals. And I even mentioned, um, you know, when uh, Clubhouse was really big during the pandemic, mm -hmm. we were in a room and there were some hip hop artists in that room and we were all talking. I want to say Isaac Hayes was on that um, on that platform. Yes. As well. He was in mm -hmm. that room and we were talking about how do we deploy more mental health services to to artists in the music mm -hmm. industry? you know, people drown their sorrows in music. Oof, so man. as I heard you talking, you know, it made perfect sense. Of course, when, when we spoke yesterday and you said you were um, a life coach and you just described to me all of the things that you do when you talk to mm -hmm. people, you basically mm -hmm. help to awaken their soul. Yes. You reestablish their confidence. You're connecting them to themselves. You're helping mm -hmm. them to undo the negativity which is what we do in something called CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. You uh, know, we help people change the negative to the positive. So, um, you know, I just had that epiphany that, yes, you're a life That's coach, wonderful, sis. I appreciate that so much. Yes. And, and there's so many people who could help you in that journey. Um, but, you know, don't stop at life coaching. There's You can do more, especially with what you've done and what you've accomplished in the industry already um, and the the connections you have and the exposure that you've had. I think these people would really, because folks, when they talk to mental health professionals, they want someone who they know can identify with them. Yes. You know, I'm part-time military. So soldiers want to talk to other soldiers. Yes. Um, soldiers who've yeah. been deployed want to talk to a, a doctor who's been deployed. I've been deployed. So it makes it easier. And someone in the industry would welcome first someone who also is in the industry who's a, a mental health professional um, versus someone who isn't. So I just yes. wanted to say that. Um, I appreciate you saying that, sis. And, and, and let me tell you something. Um, I understand the connection between entertainment and the need, the mm -hmm. need. I mean, there's such a huge need for it. And, and, and I found this out not only through my own experiences, of course, but, you know, I am being a daughter of a legend, basically, you know, I grew up with kids of other entertainers. You know, this was the circle that we were in. And so there's such a common thread with all of us. And some of us, unfortunately, you know, have been able to, fortunately, have been able to deal with the issues much better than others. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And so there are so many um, people that are, have become dependent on substances, just to get through and you know I mean it's just having been a, an, a recording artist signed to a label like my god like the industry just chews you up and spits you out I have yeah. have uh, experienced firsthand you know being able to call the label directly and they're like oh it's our star She's, hey, how are you? You know, you got stylists and you got this person handling this and this person handling the record. And these are the radio folks and, and everyone is like at your feet. And then there's that day when you call and no one picks up the phone anymore. You know what I mean? I was able to, I wanted to be out of my deal. 
So I fought to be out of my deal. So for me, it wasn't as bad as someone who, like if you, if, if you notice a lot of artists who were one hit wonders, mm-hmm. you know, they're constantly still today looking for that, that thing, they, you know, the, the admiration and the, you know, hey, hey, I'm over here, recognize me. Remember I had that hit and everyone is always chasing mm-hmm. the next you know, the next high, the next high. Yeah. And, you know, for me, fortunately with, with, with my mother being my mother, I was able to see it secondhand, like from the outside looking in what that's like when she has a hit or when she does. And when she doesn't have a label, then she gets signed again. And then, you know, we're able to see that. So for me, because my deal was a bad deal, I just wanted out. I knew I'd be okay. Yes, it was going to be a bit of a struggle, but I saw the highs and lows secondhand. So when I started to deal with them firsthand, was just it was just easier for me. It was easier for me to transition and do local gigs and things like that. And 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 honestly, my very first background professional studio background gig, other than singing on my own stuff, was from L.A. Reid when I was trying to get out of my, uh, of my contract with Sony, it's just so happened that that's when Atlanta started to really pop and the face records was here. And then suddenly I got a phone call like, hi, Mr. Reed would like you to come to the studio, you know, to do a background session. And I was like, well, I never did background for anyone else before. So let's see, you know, and, and, you know, I'm not gonna let fear, you know, run me away from it. I'm going to try, you know? And so that's what happened. It just so happened that the very first artist was a new artist. They just signed Tony Braxton. Ah! Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. So, you know, that's my story is not the typical story. You know what I mean? And so that started my background career. Oh, you sang on Tony Braxton's seven whole days. And then every, uh, so many other records came from 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 LaFace Records. So I did a good job in my first session. So he kept calling. So that's where they first Aretha, uh, uh, me singing background on Aretha. And I say first, because I also, by sheer coincidence, but, but there's no such thing again. <laughs> you know, I believe in like, that's just the way the stars were lined up and it was meant to be. But her first, the first record that I sing saying for her was a, it was a greatest hits album. And she had a song called honey and willing to forgive. And that was produced by LA and Babyface, And so mm. I got called for that. Uh, we got something in common. Hey. Whitney Houston, Bobby Brown, they produced that. So I got called and all those things, but because I be, I became the in-house, one of the in-house singers mm-hmm. for LaFace records. So that afforded me, all of those projects. I didn't really have to hustle around to get the work because once LA found his people, they were the people that he called, right. you know? What a so, blessing. It was a blessing. It was a huge blessing, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't, I don't take that lightly. And so the fact that that was, you know, given to me because I, you know, I did the work. I didn't, you know, use my mother's name to, you know, you know, maybe to get in the door, but you still got to show who you are. Yeah. You know? I was but, about to say, you still yeah. got to bring something to the table as it says yeah. in the Bible, you know? And yeah. And someone told LA Reed 
about me. I don't, I, to this day, I still don't know who that person is. God bless him, yeah. you know, but I didn't have to audition to get that spot. Maybe he heard the records. Maybe I was going to say, he probably listened. He heard you sing, He girl. probably did because LA yeah. is just that kind of guy. Like he knows the sound that he wants. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was just so, so thankful and still am very, very thankful. And I had a, you know, a 360 moment with him when he, uh, he came out with a book mm-hmm. about, uh, maybe six, seven years ago, he wrote a book and I went to the book signing in Atlanta and was able to say, do you know, you gave me my very first background studio session. And from that, it had it not been for that moment, I would have never gone on tour singing background for faith or mm-hmm. Angie Stone or outcast, or, I mean, because there's, there's an art to singing background. People think like, oh, well, let me just do this until I get my deal. That's not, background is no chump, honey. Background is, it's, it's an art within itself. Right. You know, being and people able will to, boo you. They will, they listen, they will boo you. But, you know, it's an art to be able to blend and sing and match voices yes. with the other people that you're standing beside so that you can sound like one voice hence yes. the name one voice entertainment and that's the reason why I was teaching you know I started the agency to teach vocalists the art of singing background nice 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 yeah that's yeah. that's a wonderful story um you know and you you highlighted something and that is though you were given a god-given gift there are certain things that are just god-given you just can't create yes. it you can tell the difference between a person who has a god-given skill and someone who goes to school to learn it or try to create it there's yes. a, a big difference. It's like night and day. Yeah. It's the feel. The feel yeah. is different. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just, the feel is different. It seems different. The way it affects your soul is different. All that Absolutely. stuff is just so yes. there's just such a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, with the life coaching, have you done life coaching for people in the business of music, you know, besides the sort of helping uh, support the mental health challenges and helping to enhance that part of their life, you know, the business well. So I, I would do. think people would, um, I'm plugging you if, if you haven't been doing it, but I would think people would go to you to, for, for not just advice, but just some sound psychological support as yes. they're trying to work their deal. And maybe also, yes, your inside knowledge on contracts and record labels and things yeah. like that. And because I went to college for entertainment law as well. Talent so girl, I understand, okay. <laughs> I understand the contracts and things like that, even though I didn't stay till the end. Okay, but that's what I went to school for was to do entertainment law, business law, and 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 then you know go on into entertainment law. And so, uh, to this day, I still do my contracts. But to answer your question, yes, um, I do coach people in the industry um, unofficially. Mm Though I haven't gotten to a place because I'm still officially a musician officially a vocalist like that's how I make my living you will always be a musician always be a vocalist and that's how I I make my living and I pay my bills and and that's where my heart is but my heart is also very much in helping people so I have helped quite a few people but very unofficially if someone needs help they and I'm aware of it I'm going to help it's just the type of person that I am I, I hate to see someone struggling and sometimes you can just give a word of advice and a very small word. Like it's not always very deep, but you can see that a person needs 
just that one little push to believe that they can, or, you know, or that one little thing that you say to stop them from going down the path that they're going. You just never know. Sometimes it's a word of encouragement and sometimes it's a full sit down. Mm -hmm. Um, As a mental health professional, you can identify that pretty, pretty, pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when there's something like, aha, you know, you kind of see it and, um, you know, I try to wiggle my way in, even in places that I'm not necessarily asked. I try to figure out a way to get this, you know, information or offer this piece of advice to someone that I, I feel like needs to help. But to be honest with you, as I mentioned earlier, I have always been the person like from from grade school, like have always been the person that people can just sit down and talk to and, mm-hmm. you know, pour themselves out too. And so um, I don't take that lightly. I know there's something in me that people see that I didn't always see in myself, but I recognized it in myself not long before uh, when I was thinking about becoming a life coach. And then that one event is what made me say, okay, guys, I hear you. I see, You're you know, I need it. Yes. That's what it was. So yes, I do help people, but very unofficially. I haven't gotten to a place where, um, where I feel completely comfortable. And this is this is kind of wild. Um, where I feel comfortable charging people for it. Uh, oh, we can have another session about. Yeah, that let's one. have it, please. Let's please, because yeah. I need. Yeah, I need to sit on your couch for that one, um, <laughs> because I know that what I do is valuable. Um, But I think the reason I'm there where I haven't been able to is because I just haven't sat down and settled into it enough to say, okay, this is now my profession. I'm still so much immersed in music that, you know, I'm comping this here and there. I've done some sessions (laughs) for fees, but because it's not my full full-time thing I haven't really just sat down and said okay Keish let's 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 do this and that's the reason why I'm there so yes I will honey listen you are locked in (laughs) because I know it's coming yes make it official man know your worth and you just have so many gems to share with folks and you can help mold people and help guide them so make that life coaching official and, and I, 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 I'm, I'm talking to, I'm sorry, mm-hmm, sis, go ahead. I'm talking to a lot of people, uh, children in the industry of the industry, children of the industry, um, you know, who are just like myself, whose parents, you know, were entertainers or are entertainers. And, um, some of them have passed on some of my, uh, colleagues have, mm-hmm really unresolved feelings with about their parents who weren't there for them Mm. and you know weren't there for them maybe it was a father who didn't raise them and that's their father though and their father is constantly in the limelight and them trying to reckon with here's this famous person who seemingly paid me no mind or didn't do the right thing didn't raise me um in some cases didn't didn't even send money to support, you know, 
chased the music dream to to all the way to to the grave and they never got to know that parent and then other parents who other uh children who were raised by the parents and they saw it all you know when it peaked and then when it was gone yeah you know that's that's a cycle boy you know so for a kid devastation yes that is devastation and from a kid like they just don't they just don't know like what happened, you know, because mm-hmm. they're seeing their parent is completely devastated. And in, in many cases, um, you know, they, they died in pain. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And they having seen that. And so, yes, I am always counseling and, and speaking to my peers in the industry who were raised by a parent in the industry or maybe not who were mothered or fathered by a parent in the industry. And, and since you know, we're there, I want you mm-hmm. to, once you finish that thought, talk about your project daughters of legacy. So I can get into that now, actually, um, because that's where I was kind of going anyway. Daughters <laughs> of legacy is, it's a concert basically. Um, it's I've, I've brought together daughters of famous entertainers and these are daughters that I've known most of my life growing up like we've crossed paths at some point some of us were actually friends as kids like Betty Wright's daughter for example Betty Wright being my godmother she was my god sister so we communicated more um, than some of the other ladies but we've all crossed paths and when I just felt like for, for this particular project is the purpose of the project is to uh, pay homage to our parents and the music of our parents. So when we are performing, you know, some of our parents are no longer here. We are keeping that legacy alive, the legacy of their music, because maybe their music wasn't played on mainstream radio much, like my mother's, for example, uh, Betty Wright's, for example. You know, um, you know, we heard the Tonight is Night and No Pain, No Gain, and but it still wasn't on you know as big you know I'm saying as some of these so you know their their music was considered chitlin circuit to a degree you know and that's something in itself I mean obviously it's a it's a it's a a circle of quote-unquote southern soul what it's now called southern soul like a Johnny Taylor and uh Tyrone Davis Tyrone Davis honey yes yeah. Um, but, you know, so, yeah, they are, there there are audiences. They will always have an audience because there are people that are very true to that music. Um, um, and then there's like the daughter of Ray Charles. You know, she was she started out with us. And I think now she has a, a solo recording deal that she's trying to to do her thing with that. And so, and we have Jamesia Bennett, who's the daughter of Ann Nesby, lead singer of the Sounds of Blackness, who was also in the Sounds of Blackness. We have Issa Pointer, who's the daughter of Ruth Pointer, and her father is Dennis Edwards. Wow. Um, I mean- How did I miss she, that one? Baby, a lot How of people miss that, Dennis? yeah. I missed yeah. that. Yeah, so, you know, her name is Issa Pointer Edwards, or Issa Edwards Pointer, I don't know which one comes uh. first, but- uh, yeah, so I just kind of reached out to women that I already knew, like you're singing, I'm singing. This is what we do. How would you feel about doing 
a project, you know, do performances that pay homage to our parents. We get to sing our solos, our own personal solo stuff, you know, our individual stuff in the shows as well. But the, the, the project is dedicated to keeping our parents' music alive and people love it. People have really gravitated to, toward it. And um, in that, you know, because I've had relationships, I'm back to, to the life coaching thing, because I've had relationships with these women, I know, I know, I know it. Like we see each other on the road and it's, you know, you know, you, you see a, a how, you know, for me on the road, for example, I didn't feel, always feel seen when my mother was working because I don't have time for that. You know, if you're going to be out here, you are the, you are working. This is a professional relationship. So when I started traveling with my mother, I couldn't just come to her about mother daughter stuff. I felt a way about it. Not to necessarily say that I couldn't, but it only took a couple of times. It wasn't the right setting for it not to be the right time. Yeah. Yeah. For me to just, suppress you know what I mean and then by the time we're home eh, I'm past it don't need to talk about it anymore you know or by the time she came off the road because back then there were no cell phones so if she went overseas she was gone for a month you know so really pivotal moments in my life were happening puberty was happening you know a lot of things were happening that I didn't have anyone there to to say you know that we had a we had a living housekeeper and fortunately, she loved me so much. Like, and she was, she was like the auntie. I mean, she loved mm. me and hugged on me. And thank she, God for that. She, thank God for that. Because that's not often the case either. Right, so, right. you know, so many ways and so many, in so many uh, points in my life, reflecting hindsight being 2020, whenever my mother wasn't there, there was someone who was there in the clutch that was paying attention that saw me. So even though I wasn't necessarily seen by my mother all the time, I was seen, you know what I mean? And 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 it sounds like to me that you understand it. You understand why it was that way. You understand those dynamics and you don't hold any grudges against your mother. You guys are good. Yes, we are good. It took, it took some time. It took time to get there because different times in my life. Yeah. I might be looking, you know, when I moved to Atlanta and fresh out of college, I wasn't happy. We weren't in the same place, which is the reason why when it came time for my record deal, I couldn't really consult her. I didn't feel, let me say that. I didn't feel like Uh. I could consult her because we were knocking heads personally you know, um, and a lot of it was just because she didn't know me. Right. Because it was there was like, no established mother-daughter exactly. relationship. Exactly. I went to yeah. boarding school when I was, you know, rebelling in public school. You're going to boarding school because a lot of times that's what entertainers did. You send your yeah. kid away to a good school and yeah. da da da. But I'm missing my mother because my father was never in, in the picture. So sometimes it was, it looked like rejection. You know what I mean? It looked like, well, looked why are you like sending and I'm sure away? felt and felt like I'm felt sure very much. So why are you sending yeah. me away? And because when my mother was in town, I was on her heels. Like you're going to the grocery store. I'm with you. Uh, can I go? Can I go? Yeah. And I'm always there. And then suddenly I'm 
being sent away to boarding school. Hindsight being 2020, yes, I totally get it. Now, it took some time to get there, though. And it took some work, uh, really me working on myself, because I, I, I think that once you get to a certain age, people... It's, I don't know. I felt like it was kind of, I realized that it was kind of crazy for me to expect her to suddenly come around and change. And when I say change, I mean, you, you mean in her older age, you're saying in her old, yes. Like, yeah, she you could just, not become this totally different. Yes. Mother like this or is parent you, or. Yes. Yeah. She is basically self-made. And and so, I wonder, I'm sure you know this already, but not having her mother, yes, you know, as a child yes. has a lot to do with that because yes. you don't, you haven't seen or you can't establish or mimic what yes. happened during your childhood. That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. And my grandfather married eight times. Yeah. yeah. So she never had an example for very long. Mm-hmm. And then when she left at 15, she was like, I'm going to figure this out on my own. And mm-hmm. it was whatever it was. So everything she taught me was basically what she learned on her own, which sometimes wasn't always the best, but it was yeah. like, it like was I more said, survival. It was more it was about survival. survival. Yeah. And that, that I'm thankful for mm-hmm. because I know how to survive because of her. So even though, yes, from, Six years old, I moved from the projects in Brooklyn to the suburbs in Teaneck, New Jersey. But so from that point on, it was like, oh, we're good. You know what I'm saying? I had everything I needed. I didn't want for anything, but I wanted my mother. But the survival skills that was her example is what showed me how to kind of swerve and kind of keep my head on a swivel and mm-hmm. oh this is happening oh boom that let me try this oh boom things lead singing is not working for me right now oh I was blessed with the background studio session let me try and milk this for everything that I can and I studied to become a good background vocalist which is so very different from lead because now it's taking a step back not hearing my voice so much out in front and being able to blend, which is very synonymous with not being, you know, the um, the getting all the attention yeah, and being the, the focus in the, in the room, yeah. but being able to just kind of blend back into into the background. And today, that is the person who I am. I will, I move solo often, mm-hmm. most of the time. I'm in the room, and if I don't specifically pick out someone and say hey girl or hey how you doing they don't even know I was there Mm -hmm. I'm very cool with blending in the background and not wanting all of the attention on me so it's very easy for me to step out in front or step to the back and not feel like I'm less than because I'm not the center of attention so you know do you crave that like no no exactly have to have that in their life yes they do they do and so you know my mother's misfortune mm-hmm. ended up being my fortune. You know, seeing her example of how she handled her misfortune actually was the reason why I feel like I am resilient. Why 
I don't, um, you know, I'm not afraid to cry and show emotion. Um, my mother always thought like, whose kid are you? Like she would say those things to me sometimes like, well, cause she always called me soft, but very emotional, very in tune to other people's emotion. But when it's time to quote unquote man up, let's do it. Like I'm in the trenches immediately the moment something goes and my kids look at me like, what? I mean, I'm immediately something goes wrong and I'm like, okay, so plan B. Plan C. That's immediate. It's just the that way that I resiliency factor, man. Yes, it's just the way that I think, and I don't sit and wallow in in anything too long. But I deal with it. But I also put it in perspective so that I can continue to live, to move on. Like for COVID, COVID was scary mm-hmm. for everyone. But you know, I started a podcast called The Vent Box, where people could just talk shit. And call me and say, you know, hey, Keisha, my Amazon packages are not getting here on time. And I'm just really <laughs> pissed off. And, da, da, da. and the next person might say, hey, you know, um, you know, it's a relationship with with their parent or it's a, you know, it's a relationship with their adult kid who's not moving out, who, you know, who's like the most irresponsible person, seemingly to them. And it's like I'm just talking things through, you know, people. Mm-hmm you know, talking about man weaves and I mean, it's literally like the top. Yes, whatever. Every Any week. And everything. It was just, and that's why I call awesome. it the vent box. So people can just get it out, let it yes. out, get it off your chest. Talk to me. And yes. it's a 15 to 20 minute session where people can just vent and, and then process. move on with their life and baby and move on. Yep. And it was a very lighthearted kind of you know, thing. And that was another thing, like with the life coaching, it was like, it felt so natural yeah. to me. Come on, call me, talk shit, let it out so you can move on with your day. And that was a, a thing for me as well. So love it, love it, love yeah. it. Yeah. Thanks mom for that. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, yeah. Definitely resiliency and, and hustling. Yes. Um, is yes. what you got, honestly. Um, yes. So I'm appreciative of this conversation on the couch. We have to get ready to close it out. But before we do, I do have, and thank you for being so forthcoming. Um, you are a great guest. Like, thank you. Just, you. Yeah, just, just putting it out there. I'm like, okay. Thank so, you, sis. But please know this. I was not just talking. I'm locking you in because I need, I need advice on certain things as far as my how to take my career to the next level. And the CBT thing was just so I, I like wrote it down. Gotcha. So that I could I'm read here, more into I'm here it. For all and, of yes, it. I appreciate you know, that. I'm about so making more black and brown um, yes. mental wellness warriors. So yes, yes, anytime you need it. So we're going to close with two questions. The okay. first question is what advice would you have for new artists? New artists, um, take care of the business first and foremost. It's wonderful to love your art. You know, that's an emotional thing. That's something that you are attached to. That's something that is often got most, most of the time God given and you're drawn to that, but take care of your business. If it is not on paper, it does not mean anything. People Mm. call and make promises, take care, get everything on paper. I put everything on paper and people are sometimes offended, but get it on paper so that, that you can know for sure. And I'm yeah. not talking about a recording that they're unaware of because a lot of times that's not admissible in court. Get 
them to sign a piece of paper, please, so that all Facts. the terms are laid out. Facts. Yes. If it's not mm-hmm. recorded, if it's not documented, it never happened. If it's happened. not documented, that's right. If it's not documented, it never happened. Mm-hmm. And the second question, what would you tell your 21-year-old self? Be patient. It's going to be okay. For me, um, my 20s just got, I just was so unsure. I didn't know who I was. Um, I didn't think I was enough. Um, You know, I knew I was not my mother in that everyone tried to pin me as, oh, you're just like your mother. You look just like your mother. You're going to be just like your mother. And I knew that there were elements of me that was very much like my mother, but I knew I was my own person Mm -hmm. and I hadn't found that person yet. And I would say, be patient. You're coming. You're coming. Yeah. Love that. Patience is definitely not to sound cliche, but it's a virtue. Yes, it is. But to to know that I was on the way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even though I couldn't see myself yet, you're coming. So that was, that, that was a real, if I could just tell myself, because it was, it took a while. Like, I feel like I didn't get that understanding. I didn't get comfortable with who I was becoming until later. Like I was almost 30. Gotcha. Yeah. Providing yourself that reassurance. Yes. That's what I would say. Just Mm -hmm. calm down. You're coming. Keep working the process, girl. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah. And here's another plug when you guys do another Mary J movie, you remind me of Mary J Blige. Do I? You do. She's so passionate. I love that. I love that analogy. I was on your, when I was on your Instagram page, looking through your photos, I'm like, she looks like Mary J. Do I look like Mary? You there's some resemblance. There's something there. Yeah. 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 Who knows what the family tree will bring though. You know what I mean? Cause we, we might have some some folks, you know, honestly, so many of us uh, Black folks just don't even know yeah. the roots. Exactly. And there might be an uncle Hence our trauma. An aunt or some child. Yes. So <laughs> yes. there might be an uncle or an aunt out there that's somehow connected. And we are we so don't even know it. much more connected than most of us even realize. Yeah. Especially you said your grandfather had eight wives. I'm just saying. Listen. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> Papa, Papa was definitely a Rolling Stone, <laughs> you know. Guys, you have been listening to Coach Keisha Jackson on my couch. She is not only just a career vocalist, she's done many things and I'm trying to convince her she must become a licensed mental health professional so that she can save the music yes. industry. You guys can hear her. Go to her Instagram page. Keisha, tell folks, what is your IG? My IG is at Keisha Jackson, at K-E-I-S-H-A Jackson. Uh, Facebook is Keisha Jackson. You'll see my picture. I have a couple pages. I have an artist page and a personal page. Personal page, I just, listen, if you're not up for all of the daily (laughs) shenanigans, don't follow me. I'm up for Um, the tomfoolery. I will request (laughs) you. Yes, yes. Whether Whether it's what the foolishness is going on in the world today or just, just my opinion of whatever. Um, yes. yeah, I know on Twitter is the same at Keisha Jackson. So fortunately I was able to get me, you oh, know, and okay. no underscores and no extra stuff, no extra numbers know. and all that. Yeah, stuff. no, it's just at Keisha Jackson on everything. 
And KeishaJackson.com is her yeah. website. Yes, KeishaJackson.com. And all of my social media is connected to my website as well. That's what's up. And if you yes. need some vocal coaching as well as some life coaching, please hit up Coach Keisha. Yes. If you just didn't hear the passion from her and the life experiences she has lived since childhood and managing as the daughter of a famous singer, famous vocalist, her mother, Millie Jackson, being able to manage that and um, maintain her own mental health and wellness. And also, I think Coach Keisha had also taught you without, unbeknownst to you, it taught you some emotional intelligence because I heard a lot of that during the session. Thank you so much, sis. And forgiveness. Yeah, I mean it. And forgiveness is a big part of that. So besides her vocal coaching agency, One Voice Entertainment, I swear I'm going to come so you can tell me if I'm tone deaf or not. Look out. Yes. (laughs) I got a cold tonight. I would try out tonight, but I'm sick. I'm trying to get over this cold. We'll do it another night. But guys, also look forward to this Daughters of Legacy. I'm interested. I'm intrigued, especially by the, is her name Issa? The, uh, yeah, Issa Edwards. Yes. yes. Uh-huh. Yes. And she's cold. She sounds like her mother, looks like her father. Like, it's crazy. Like, she's got it double. Like, she's she's dope. I love me some Dennis yes. Edwards when I was yes. younger, man. Yes. yes. So we start off her set with, just so you know, we start off her set with... It was the 3rd of September. Hey. Like it was, listen, it's going down. Nice. It's going down. So they'll get to hear the no pain, no gain. They'll get to hear the, the Isaac Hayes. You know, uh, it, it's it's just a really, really great show. And then, of course, for me, you get the if loving you is wrong and yes. you get know, all the good shit talking and all that stuff, too. So it's, it's a good old time, honey. Nice, nice, yes. nice. So when can we expect it? Well, it's right now we're moving around. So we're accepting dates. Um, and you got your inspirational stuff too from Jamesia and Nesby's daughter. So you get the, I believe, and you know, as long as you keep your head to the sky, you get all that. Oh, yes. Um, but we're That's traveling. One of my around. favorite songs, too. Yes, absolutely. And so as promoters are calling us and things are starting to pick up, we are accepting dates. So, yes, if we can get down there in the South Florida area, which is where my godmother Betty Wright is from anyway, you know, where she planted her feet most of her life, then that's where we want to be. We want to be where the people are. So um, before, I don't want to forget this, Feeling Bitchy okay. was that album I was, I was thinking about from your yes. mom. Feeling yes, Bitchy. that's the picture with her licking her lips. Yes, but <laughs> back to these tour dates. So, and then we'll get out of here. But Dania Casino would be a, a good one to hit up and say, hey, we want to bring this tour through. Tell your promoters okay. at Dania Casino. Dania and, Casino. And where's that located? Dania, uh, Dania Beach, which is, um, it's near Fort Lauderdale in Hollywood, okay. Florida. Okay. So D-A-N-I-A, Dania Casino. They have gotcha. Jeffrey Osborne is there in December. One of my um, favorite voices, period. Yeah. Ooh. Foreigner is there in November. Nice. Yeah. So they get some good acts, man. And also, yeah. you know, we have Jazz in the Gardens in Miami, in uh, Miami Gardens. So yes. Yes. perhaps you guys can do a segment during Jazz in the Gardens. So yeah, I think someone uh, hit up Namfuyo, Betty's daughter, uh, last year about us coming, but it was just kind of an inquiry, never a serious thing. But yeah, it's time to girl claim to it, make it happen. Yes, yes. I would yeah. love to see that. I'd love that. So. I'd love that. Thank you again for everything, Coach Keisha. Before we get out of here, please say brain love. Brain love.
It's the end of an episode. Thank you guys for joining me on my couch. It's been a pleasure. It's Dr. Delvina. Remember, every day you must have brain love. Balance. You can't have all work and no play, and you can't have all play and no work. Reframe. Reframe your negative thinking. Think positively. Avoid negative people. Inside, everything you need, it's inside of you. Look inside yourself. Needs. Know your needs. Your needs come first, not everyone else's. Limitations. Limit your expectations of yourself. Ownership. Own your mistakes. Learn from them and move on. Vengeance is not yours. It's the Lord's. Express yourself. Every day, meaningful communication. Don't go to bed angry. And that's been my show, guys. Brain love. Thank you.